You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And guess what? This is post-Thanksgiving, but we still win. Listen, so glad to have you with us. Tag a friend. Let them know that we're live on Facebook, and it's going to be absolutely amazing today. I got my uh, uh, iPad here, and I'm ready to receive any questions or comments that you have. I'll talk about those comments and questions at the end of the uh, podcast teaching, and it's going to be great. You can get the all. You can also get the audio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. But it's going to be a blessing today. Listen, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Remember, you could eat as much as you want. No fat, no calories, and food during the holidays. You got two more coming up. Got Christmas, and then you got New Year's. So get ready. Uh, get ready. Uh, we had a good, our family had a good holiday. We were in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. First time we had gone to Gatlinburg. We enjoyed uh, the time there. It was exciting. Actually enjoyed Pigeon Forge more than Gatlinburg itself, but we had a great time. And I pray you had a great time with family and with friends. Well, we're going to continue in our teaching on integrity, uh, the cornerstone value of heaven. The Spirit of God spoke to me some time ago, and he said that the next move of God will be in the area of character. So for the rest of this year, we're dealing with character-based information. Now, we've been talking about integrity and this is a five-lesson uh, series, and this is our third lesson. And we've discovered thus far that integrity is who you are and what you do when no one is looking. Integrity is conceived and rooted in our private world. Uh, your private world, and this is a statement I want you to remember, your private world will either be a friend or an enemy of your future. So we've been talking about the four pillars of integrity. Pillar number one is honesty. Pillar number two is consistency. Uh, pillar number three is purity. And pillar number four is authenticity. Now, the reason why we wanted to talk about pillars is we wanted to give you somewhat of a comprehensive uh, understanding of what integrity is, a holistic understanding. So each one of these pillars give us some insight to what in integrity is all about. So in, in our second lesson, in lesson one, we just talked about integrity in general and why it's important. But in our second lesson, we talked about honesty, the pillar of honesty, and that's choosing not to lie, refusing to cheat, and avoiding manipulation. But in our third lesson, we're teaching on the second pillar, and that pillar is consistency. Consistency. Now, each one of these pillars, 
honesty, consistency, uh, purity, authenticity are critical to our personal life of integrity. Each one of these pillars add support, keep us flowing in our uh, destiny journey. Uh, so if we pull away e any one of these pillars, then something is going to happen uh, in terms of our life of integrity. However, if I had to choose one pillar that would actually pretty much embrace the other three, if I had to choose one, I could choose one because all four are important, but if you force me to choose one, I would choose consistency, what we're gonna talk about today. And it's gonna be a, a really, really good lesson. So this is how we're going to proceed. I'm gonna talk precepts or principles. We'll talk about what consistency is and what is not and, and the difference between consistent uh, uh, reputation and integrity. And then we'll move from precept and principles to some illustrations. We're going to give you some Bible illustrations of inconsistency. And then we're going to give you one Bible illustration of consistency. And then we're going to talk about personal application. Okay, how do we apply this to our everyday life? Now, I want you to listen out of both of your ears. I want you to listen as an individual believer because God has a destiny assignment for you, but you should be connected to a local church. And I want you to listen out of your other ear. I want you to think corporately that the ministry that you're a part of, the church that you're a part of, and if you have your own personal ministry, it should be a ministry of integrity. So let's begin talking precepts and principles. So what is consistency? I have one definition. Consistency is harmony or agreement between what we do and say in public and what we do and say in private. That is a wonderful definition. It is an important definition. Listen, if you're taking notes, please make a note of this definition, and then I want you to go back and meditate on it. Listen, consistency, we're talking about the pillar of consistency. Consistency is harmony or agreement between what we do and say in public and what we do and say in private. Now think about this for just a moment. Most people, and I believe we, we could say most Christians, are very concerned about their public life. All of us, you and I, we're concerned about our public life, our, our public uh, image. So we're very guarded when it comes to our public life or our public image. And we all want to have a good reputation. However, very few people have guardrails in their private life, their private world. And remember now, it's 
your private world will be a friend or an enemy of your future. So if you get nothing else out of this lesson, I want you to understand that the real emphasis in your life should not be necessarily on your public image, but on your private world, your private life. You see, there is a difference between reputation and integrity. There is a difference between my reputation and my integrity. There is a difference between your reputation and your integrity. Let's talk about the difference. Reputation is what others think about you, what others think about me, but integrity is the truth about me, the truth about you, and they may not match. Remember, reputation is what others think about you, what others think about me, but integrity is the truth about you and the truth about me, and they may not match. Now, listen very carefully. Reputation is who you are, who I am in public. Reputation is who you are in public, who I am in public, but integrity is who you are in private. Now think about that for a moment. Pause and think. Who are you in private? Your private world. Who are you? Now, that tells us, listen, that tells us that we have a public self. That's our reputation. And we have a private self. That's our integrity. Please get that. Please listen to that. We have, you and I, we have a public self and we got, we have a private self. And reputation is our public self. Integrity is our private self. So what is consistency? This is good. I want you to listen carefully. So what is consistency? What is this pillar that's holding up our life of integrity? It is when our public self and or our reputation matches our private self. When there's a match between how others see me and how I really am, when there's a match between my reputation and my private life, my inte- that's consistency. In other words, when what people can see and what people cannot see about my life and your life, when there's a match, then God sees that as consistency. And in his eyesight, that's wholeness. That's what wholeness is. That's what completeness is. So let me ask you a question. This is a very important question, and I want you to answer it. Let me ask you a question. Are you whole 
Are you a whole believer? Let me ask you a question. Are you consistent? Let me ask you a question. Same question in, in three different ways. Does your public self match your private self? Does what others see you in public match how you really are in private? Now that's so very important. We're discussing today about consistency. I wanted to begin talking principles, talking precepts. What is consistency? The difference between reputation and integrity. Now, let's bring some concreteness to our precepts, our principles. I want to give you some examples, Bible examples of inconsistency, and then we'll move to consistency. And I want you personally to be evaluating your life. And listen, I got my iPad here. I'm ready to, to answer any questions you want to ask or any comments you want to make. This is so very, very important. Let's, let's look at Moses, for example, as our, an example of, of inconsistent. Let's look at Moses. When we studied the scripture about Moses' life, we see that Moses was born an Israelite, but he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and raised as his son. Then when we look, we find that to be true in Exodus, and I'm going to quote a text for you in a moment. But when we go to Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 11, it says that even though he was raised as Pharaoh's daughter, when he turned 40 or in his 40s, it came into his heart to visit his people. It came into his heart to deliver uh, Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Now, Moses knew he was an Israelite even though he was raised as Pharaoh's son. He knew it because when uh, Pharaoh sent this edict that all the Hebrew babies were going to be killed, Moses' Israelite parents hid him for three months and then put him in a little ark and sent him down now and prayed for him. And Pharaoh's daughter was out bathing. She saw the ark fell in love with the baby, and then she took the baby home to raise the baby, but she needed a nurse. So Moses' sister saw Pharaoh's daughter get the baby out of the Nile River, and she came to Pharaoh's daughter and asked her, would you like for me to get a nurse for your new baby? And she says, yes. So Moses' sister went and got Moses' mother. So Moses' mother, who was an Israelite, actually nursed her own son for Pharaoh's daughter. 
So I'm certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that there were times she in, gave him insight to who he really was. He, you're an Israelite. You, you were born an Israelite. I'm quite sure she shared this. The Bible says that when he turned 40, it came into his heart to visit his people, to deliver his people. He realized he knew he was Israelite, but he didn't know he was called to deliver God's people. Now, when we read over in Hebrews chapter 11, it says when he came to age, when Moses came to age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It says he esteemed the riches of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, which implies that he was in line to be a Pharaoh, but he chose. Now, when we get to Exodus chapter 2, verse 12 in the New Living Translation, the Bible says that he came out one day and he saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, and he came out to defend him. Now, notice what it says. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and, and hid the body in the sand. Now, Moses killed the Egyptian, hid him in the sand. But notice what it says. It says, he looked both the what directions, and when no one were watching, that's Moses' integrity. Remember, integrity is who you are when no one's watching. So now we get a glimpse into his integrity. He looked both ways, and he killed the Egyptian, and he hid the Egyptian in the sand. Let me ask you a question. Is there ever been a time where you did something in private and you hid it? You hid it. It's something about life. We don't want people to know, pastor included, I'm including this. We don't want people to know what's going on in our private world. So a lot of times we hide things in the sand. Have you ever hid something in the sand you didn't want anybody to know about? It is something about hiding stuff sooner or later it tends to come out. So guess what? He thought the situation was dealt with. Later he came out to defend another one of his Israelite brethren and they turned to him and said, hey, who made you a judge over us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Now watch this. Moses knew the secret was out and he fled Egypt. Now, listen at this. In Moses' public life, he was a devoted Egyptian, a relative of Pharaoh. He was this, the Bible says in Acts 7, he was mighty in word and mighty in deed. Think about it. He was very prestigious in Egypt. He had a great reputation in Egypt. But in his private life, Moses was a murderer. I'll give you a concept from this, this inconsistency. In public, he's this gray Egyptian. He's just the, the heir to the throne. He's highly respected, but in, in private, 
his private life, he was a murderer. Notice the inconsistency. Notice his public life is not mentioned his private life. I want to give you a, 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 a truth out of this story. What you consistently do in your private life or your private world will become known in your public life. Now, listen to that. That's powerful now. What you consistently do in your private life, in your private world, will become known in your public life. And that's true positively or negatively. Whatever you consistently do in your private life, good or bad, will become known sooner or later in your public life. Let's look at the negative side of that. The scripture says in Numbers 32, 23, it says, be sure your sin will find you out. In other words, the things that we do in our private life, the sins, the things that we do, and, and we think no one will find out about it. The scripture says in Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. But that's the negative side. There's a positive side too. Listen at this principle. What you consistently do in your private life will manifest in your public life. Jesus himself said in Mark 4, 22, he says, there's nothing hidden which shall not be manifested. He says, the things that are kept secret will come abroad. Now, that's the positive side because he's talking about the word in Mark chapter 4. So the things, the good things, the meditating the word, the prayer, the, the overcoming temptation, all those things, the commitment to godliness, all those things in your private world, you confessing the word, you acting on the word, and nobody sees what you're doing. You're spending time with God. You're worshiping God. Those things, Jesus says, will manifest in your public life. Amen. Now, let's look at another Bible illustration of inconsistency. I'll read you the proof text, and then I'll come back and give you the historical context. Then Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, in the New Living Translation, it says, But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. Now, let's look at the historical context. Beginning at the, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the early church was very powerful. It was a, a church that was united 
It was a, a church that was full of compassion, uh, influential. There were miracles. There were signs. There was wonders. Uh, people were being saved by the thousands. And, and the hearts of the believers at this point in history were so united with one another that the scripture communicates that different believers would be, take their excess property and possessions and they would sell it, bring the proceeds to the, the leadership of the church so that the leadership of the church could make sure that all the believers had their needs met. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 that no, that no one had any needs because they were constantly sharing with one another. Now, think about it. This was not a formal requirement. There was no requirement. There was no mandate that you had to sell property and, and bring it to the church. None of that. that. It was the Spirit of God moving on in their hearts and individuals who had excess property and excess uh, possessions would sell their possessions to make sure those who had needs have their needs met. And everybody was excited. The power of God was moving and it was just special. The Bible even mentions an individual named Barnabas in the fourth chapter of Acts who, who sold some property and brought the the, 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 the proceeds to the leadership of the church so that others could have their needs met. So it was a wonderful time in the church. The, the church was exploding in growth. And there was a, a couple, a husband and wife, who saw the honor and the accolades that came to those who sold property. They got together and they wanted the accolades and they wanted the reputation of being generous too. But they decided that they were not going to give all of the proceeds of the property they sold. They were going to keep part of it back. But they wanted the church and told the church and told the leadership they were giving the whole thing. Now, Peter under the unction of the Holy Spirit, out of what the Bible calls a word of knowledge, recognized the deception. So Peter confronted Ananias, Sapphira somewhere else. He confronted him about whether or not he had given all the property. And he said, yeah, I've given all the property and I've given all the proceeds. And, and look at me, I'm so wonderful. And through a word of knowledge, people, Peter recognized the deception, called him on the carpet, told him that he had lied to the Spirit of God. He had lied by this whole issue, and bam, the boy fell dead. I mean, fell dead on the spot. I mean, just fell. They came in, took him out, and buried him. Took him out and buried him. I mean, just died on the spot. Well, his wife came in about three hours later, and Peter asked her basically the same question. So you gave the property to the church. Uh, you say you sold all the prop sold the property and gave all the money. Is that right, Sapphire? She said, absolutely. My husband and I, we were so concerned about the needy. We were so concerned about the church and, and the work of the ministry that we gave it all. We didn't keep anything back. And, and Peter said, is that right? And he said, now listen, 
Someone's going to come in in a few minutes and take your body away, just like a, your husband's uh, body was taken away, and bam, she fell dead. I mean, she fell dead on the spot, and they took her out and buried her next to her husband. Now, there's a lot of debate and discussion about how they died, and some believe it was the judgment of God. Others believe they had a heart attack because they was exposed publicly. Now, notice they did some private, but it manifested in their public life, and they both died. Now, what was the problem? The problem, the sin, was not a lack of generosity. The sin was not that they kept back part of the price because Peter said to them, listen, the property was yours before you sold it. You had a right. You, you, there was no mandate that you had to bring, sell it. There was no mandate that you had to bring the money to the church. No mandate whatsoever. Peter said, after you sold it, there was no mandate that you gave, had to give it all to the church. You could have given part of it. You could have kept the whole thing because it was your property. But the problem was that they lied. And it wasn't just a lie. It was the lie of hypocrisy. Now, what do you mean by hypocrisy? They presented themselves as something and someone very different than who they really were. Hypocrisy. Now, it shows us how God views hypocrisy. If you read the Gospels, the big problem that Jesus had with the religious leaders was the hypocrisy. He never condemned, downgraded, criticized sinners for sinning, but he really came at the religious leaders because of their hypocrisy. They presented themselves one way in public, but in private they were totally different the inconsistency, and that was the major problem. Now, I have my, my thoughts about it, why, why this situation, why, how they opened themselves up. I believe that there was the unity, the power, the compassion, the influence of the church, and Satan attacked the church from without through persecution, the religious leaders, and when that didn't work, he attacked the church within through believers, and he does it today. He'll bring persecution from those without, and persecution without has never stopped the church. So he goes within and try to connect with a believer because he believes that he can destroy the church from within. And we know that it was Satan because Peter asked Ananias, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart? Satan wanted to stop the momentum of the church by causing or believers to yield to the temptation 
of hypocrisy. Now, I'm going to st stay here for a minute. Listen, I got a, a great comment. I got another uh, question uh, here. And thank you so much. You can send them right while I'm teaching right now. We're going to answer those questions. Thank you for sending your comments. Now, let's look at this story. In public, Ananias and Sapphira were generous and devoted church members. That's what they presented in public. But in private, Ananias and Sapphira were dishonest, glory-seeking glory hypocrites who conspired to deceive both the leadership of the church and the members of the church. Now, I want I want to sh share something for a moment about hypocrisy versus the mercy of God. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 28:13, Proverbs 28:13, it says, "He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesseth it and forsake it shall find mercy." Now, think about it. Ananias and Sapphira covered their sin. They had no intention. Peter gave them an opportunity to repent. He gave them an opportunity to, 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 to be honest. They had no intent to do what was right. And that's where some believers are. They have no intent to do what's right. The Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that confess and forsake will find mercy. Listen, this is my, I'm in my 41st year of pastoring. I pastored a Presbyterian church for over a year, and, I, and this church, Faith Chapel, uh, I have pastored, I'm in my 40th year. Listen, I have seen and experienced the mercy of God. And through the years, I've seen members, I've seen leaders, I've seen employees who committed offenses or sins, in some cases were in stuff that they shouldn't have been in. It may have been dishonesty. It may have been adultery. It been a lot of different kinds of things. Homosexuality. I've seen it all from members, uh, employees, and, and leaders in the church. And I've seen members, employees, and I've seen leaders acknowledge their sin, repent of their sin. I've seen marital couples go through, go through infidelity and they sat in a session and they acknowledge it and they repented of it. And I've seen God restore members. I've seen his mercy. I've seen him restore uh, employees, restore leadership and never and I've seen him do it in such a way, and we were able to hide it. You say you hid it? Yes, I hid it. Because all God wanted them to do was to get out of it. 
He wanted them to stop. He didn't want to expose them. He didn't want their marriages to tear up and the kids to tear up. That was Satan. Satan wants to expose people. Satan wants things to get out. So I would look people in the face and say, you got to stop this. You got to cut this off and you got to stop doing this. And they did it. They repented. They changed and they did it. They cut it off. They stopped it. And the, and we were able to keep them flowing. Nobody, they, in some cases, they didn't have to sit down. Now, when things hit the fan, sometimes you have to have to uh, people become aware of it and you have to make a decision to set people down. But you you're never trying to do that. You never want to do that. And, and, and when people do it right, they say, yes, Pastor, I was wrong. I did that wrong. And, and, and I'm sorry. Listen, we were able to cover some stuff and they, they still leave. And they're in church now, functioning now. Marriage is strong now because of the mercy of God. God is a merciful God. Listen, he's a merciful and kind God. And he never wants the situation to be broke. He never want people to be exposed. But the Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But he that confess and forsake shall find mercy. Now, of course, if someone does something illegal, we have to report that. But I'm not talking about illegal stuff. I'm just talking about immoral stuff. God, I've seen God bring people through it. But there are people just like Ananias and Sapphire. They're just going to try to do their thing and, 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 and maintain their position, and they'll never really fully experience the mercy of God. I pray that was a blessing to you. And usually uh, you can send your questions, your comments in. Usually the Spirit of God moves through me. And usually there's someone that I'm talking to that's in something that they need to get out. So if that's you, I'm saying cut it off, get it out, quit, stop it. And there is grace and mercy for you. Okay, let's look at one last example of inconsistency when our public reputation, our public life does not match our private world, our private life inconsistency. Uh, a classic illustration of inconsistency is gossip. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you a gossip? Come on, raise your hand if you're, you're, you're a gossip. Are you a gossip? Well, let's define it. Gossip is spreading rumors, partial and unconfirmed negative information about others. It is spreading rumors, partial unconfirmed negative information about others. And it's a violation of scripture. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now listen at this. Gossip is usually communication in private environments in the absence of those being talked about. So gossip is a form of inconsistency because what is said in private is usually not said in public. See the inconsistency? We talk about somebody, 
and it's a rumor, it's something we heard, it's partial information, we don't have all the facts, it's unconfirmed, or it's just negative, and we're not supposed to be talking about folk in a negative way, and usually we do it in the absence of the person. So we're talking one way in private, but we're not talking the same way in public, and that's inconsistency. The private communication and the public communication do not match. Wow, I think that hit a number of people right there. Now, last I want to give you one illustration, a powerful illustration of consistency, consistency. And I want to use Joseph as an example of consistency. And many of you probably uh, know the story. But Joseph, and we'll look at a, at a, a part of, well, I'll read the, I'll read the proof text, then I'll come back and I'll share the historical context. It says in Genesis 39, 6 through the eighth verse in the New Living Translation, it says Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully, come and sleep with me, she demanded, but Joseph refused. When we drop down to Genesis 39, verse 10, in the King James Version, it says, And it came to pass, as she spoke to Joseph, by day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And then the last text, and then I'll give you the context. Joseph said to her, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Now, let's look at that. Let's look at that. And here again, you can send any questions you have. So here's the historical context. Joseph was sold into slavery, Egyptian slavery, by his brothers who were jealous of him. He came down, was brought down to Egypt to a uh, Egyptian uh, captain or leader named Potiphar. Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's security guard, very wealthy, very powerful man. So Joseph came as a slave and was bought by Potiphar. And the scripture says, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, even as a slave. The Lord was with him. Then the text says, and Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him and made everything that Joseph put his hand to, to prosper. And the Bible says that Joseph found favor with Potiphar and Potiphar actually placed under Joseph's supervision everything in the household, all the slaves, all the running of the household and all of the running of the estate. Joseph became a supervisor over all Joseph's affairs. 
But part of all of Potiphar's affairs, but Potiphar had a wife, and I'm, I'm convinced she's probably a gorgeous, beautiful woman. She started looking at Joseph in a lustful way, and she, she wanted Joseph to sleep with her. And Joseph refused to sleep with her. So there are three things that I want to share with you about this. And remember, we're talking about consistency now. Joseph's public image matched his private world. So there are three things. Number one, Joseph established boundaries with her. He established boundaries with her. In private, Joseph would not listen to her when she was talking about him sleeping with her, he would not lie in bed next to her because she said, now, if you're not going to sleep with me, just come, Joey. Joey, come down and just, just lie in bed with me. We don't have to do anything. He wouldn't lie in bed next to her, and he wouldn't spend any time alone with her. Come and just let's sit in the parlor. Let's just talk. The Bible says that she pressed him every day pressed on him every day. Can you imagine what that was like? But Joseph established boundaries in his private life. Many people got, they're concerned about their reputation, but he established boundaries in his private life. Now watch this. He established boundaries with her. Now listen to me. There are some people that you need to establish boundaries with. Some people. Now, this is a sexual, romantic uh, kind of temptation. You can plug anything in this context, but let's talk about that. Now, there's nothing wrong with being attracted to somebody. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's always going to be someone who push your button, always going to be someone. When you look at her, it's something about her. It may be her kindness. It may be her shape. It may be her uh, generosity. It may be her spirituality. You're going to always have someone that turns your button There's going to always be a man, maybe it's his anointing, maybe he's fine, maybe he's tall, maybe he's uh, secure, and there's something very attractive about him. Now listen, there are some people, and, and see, being attracted is not a sin, temptation is not a sin. There are some people you need to set boundaries around them them. You don't need to spend a lot of long time with them. You don't need to be eating lunch with them. You don't need to be spending a whole lot of time with them. He set boundaries with her. Now, I can't prove this. I believe she was very attractive. And I believe there may have been an attraction that Joseph even had because attraction is not a sin. But he established boundaries. There are some people, they just turn your turn on. 
And you have to set boundaries. You have to be honest with yourself. I'm attracted to this person. I'm attracted to that person. And so I'm going to set some boundaries where I'm not going to allow myself to get in certain positions consistently. It may be work situations. You don't have any choice. But you're not going to consistently allow yourself to be in private settings with this person as much as possible. And you're going to set boundaries around your conversation with this person. Maybe you work with this person. So you have to be in meetings and you have to be alone, but you're going to set some boundaries around what you say and what you talk about with that particular person. Sometimes you have to set boundaries around things. If you're coming out of an addiction, you were struggling with cocaine or weed or whatever, and different people, some about when you get with them, you just get high. You want to get high. You got to set some boundaries and and you got to make sure that you don't get connected with these people. That's why people struggle coming out of addiction because they don't set boundaries around their relationships. She, he set boundaries around her. So I'm going to ask you a question right now. Who is it that you need to set some boundaries around? I know I'm talking to you. I know I'm talking to you and you really listen to me right now because you know I'm talking to you. So let me ask you a question. Who should you be setting some boundaries around? Who kind of turn you on and will have you going the wrong way? Who is that person? What is that thing that you need to set some boundaries around? Second thing, not only did he establish a boundaries with her, Joseph Choi, secondly, to set boundaries and not sleep with Potiphar's wife, was the product of a personal quality relationship with God. He said, now listen, Listen, sweetie, listen, listen, uh, listen, Miss Potiphar. He said, I can't sleep with you. I can't spend time with you. No, I'm not going to sit in the parlor with you. No, I'm not going to lie in that bed with you. No, I'm not going to do it. And he said, how could I do such a wicked thing? It will be a great sin against God. Now, I want you to catch this. I see I got another comment. Thank you so very much. Thank you so very much. You can send your comments, your questions in right now. Now, listen. Joseph had a personal relationship with God, and it was not Mr. Potiphar. It was not just him willpowering himself through it. No, he had a strong connection with God, and it was his ability to resist was not human. It was not fear-based. He did not want to sin against God. What do you think about that? Now, I've been married for 43 years. My wife and I, her nickname is Pete. We're headed on 44. We we shoot for 44 with everything we got. There is no person, no person that I rather spend time with or be with than Miss Pete, my wife. I love my wife. I don't like, just like her. I love her. There's nobody on the planet that I'd rather be with more than her. However, I'm always in private settings. There's no way around it. You know, you have meetings with women staff people. You have uh, females. There's no way around 
in my role that I can just cut myself off from every female. No way I can do it. It's impossible. So I've said this. There is no way I can just live holy because of my relationship with Pete. As strong as it is, it won't keep me. Well, the only thing that can keep me is my relationship with God. Because no one outside of you can mandate your integrity. Nobody. If somebody want to do something wrong, they have a choice. God allows them to do that. They have a free will. And you can build all the fences around your spouse, all the fences around your girlfriend or whatever. And I think that's crazy. Like right now, I don't know what my wife is doing. I believe she's doing what's right, but I don't know. That's where trust comes in at. Listen, it's only our relationship with God that can keep us. Only, and I stand consistently that I'll both do great things and prevail, not because I'm unable to fall, not because I'm not tempted, but God spoke to me. He said, you shall both do great things and prevail. So I'm standing on that. I'm not standing on might. I'm not standing on my love for her. I'm standing on my relationship with God and what he said. And that's what kept Joseph, and that's what's going to keep you. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you're not spending time with God, if you're not connected to God, you're going to sin some kind of way. Third thing, Joseph recognized that God was present in his private world. God was present in his private world. Listen what it says in Hebrews 4.13 in the New Living Translation. It says, nothing in all creation, this is Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we're accountable. Think about it. Joseph realized that God was present in his private world. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? When we're alone, when we're on our computer, where we're alone in the office, when we're alone in the bedroom, when we're alone out in the car, whatever it is, God is always present in our private world. And really, that's what God focuses on, our private world. See, if your private world is managed properly, your reputation will take care of itself. Listen, many people are concerned about their reputation and they have no guardrails around their private world. So sooner or later, their private world is manifested in their public world. If you take care of your private world because God is in your private world, there's nothing you can do that he doesn't see. And Joseph said, listen, you tell me we can do this. You tell me it'll never get back to Mr. Potiphar. You tell me you're going to bless me. You're going to help me. You're going to promote me. You're going to do all these things. But God is watching me. God is watching me. And I can't do that because God is in my private world. God is in your private world. Now, I want to I want to I want to close because I got another comment. Thank you so much. Send your comments. I want to take a few minutes and close this out. 
I want to talk some practical application right quick. Number one, consistency is important for you. Number two, consistency is important for others. I got another comment. Thank you so very much. God honors consistency. God honors consistency. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Notice, God shows him strong, himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So his eyes is going to and fro. He's looking throughout all the earth to see someone with a perfect heart. Now, that word perfect heart is translated in the New King James Version, a loyal heart. It is translated in the New Living Translated, a heart fully committed. So this heart that God is looking for is not perfection. It's not saying everything right, not doing everything right, because you can miss it. You can miss God and have integrity, but you're honest about it. You're not hiding it. You're honest with God. You're not hiding it. You're honest. Listen, God is not looking for perfect people because we all miss it sometime. You have missed it. I have missed it. You have sinned. I have sinned. But he's looking for a heart that's committed, a heart who wants consistency, a person who wants to have their private life match their public life. And God will promote you just like he promoted Joseph. Now, listen, he promoted Joseph so your private life will manifest in your public life in a positive way. Now, listen at this. Integrity ultimately leads to positive results. But like Arthur Chuck Swindoll said, don't be confused by immediate results. Listen, there are times when you do the right thing, it will look like you lost out. It's just going to look like that boy did the right thing. He ran out of that house. He chose not to sin with that girl. And yet she lied on him and throwed him in prison and in prison. They forgot him in prison. But God keeps good books. I want you to hear me. Look at me right now. Listen to me right now. Wherever you are, God keeps good books. Ultimately, when you make that inward commitment to be right in private, God will honor it publicly. I promise you by the word of God, he will honor it in public. Now, how does my inconsistency impact others. Now, I want you to listen. I'm going to close. I got, oh, this is good. You're doing good. I see some, I got, I got another comment. Oh, this is good. 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 How does my inconsistency, and I'm almost finished and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to this. I'm almost finished. How does my inconsistency impact others? Now, I have a leadership book. I have a book. It's a, it's a leadership book by Michael Kanick, C-A-N-I-C, Michael Kanick, and the book is entitled Ruthless 
consistency, ruthless consistency by Michael Kennedy. Now, he said something in the book, and I'm not trying to quote everything in the book, but he said he made some statements in the book as it relates to inconsistency that I want to take his statements and transpose them into this lesson. Now, here are the statements, and then I'm going to come back, and I want you to drop it into your context. He said, when we operate in inconsistency, we send mixed messages. That's number one. Number two, when we send mixed messages, we confuse people, we demotivate them, and we kill our credibility. That's number two. Number three, once we kill our credibility, people will not listen to us. And even if they listen, they will not, they will not believe that what we are saying is real. Now, I want to put, I want to help you put it in a context and then we'll look at these statements and then I'm going to go to your comments and questions. Now think, if you are a husband you are the domestic head of your home, not the spiritual head, but you're the domestic head and you got all kind of influence in that, in that home. If your parents, maybe you're even a single parent, then you are a leader in that home. I want you to put it in this context. If you are a Christian, you are a leader in the world. The Bible says you're the light of the world. Your city sit on the hill. Now, if you are a leader in any context, and I'll use myself as an example. I am a pastor. I'm a teacher. I stand at the office of a prophet. So if you are an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, deacon, whatever, you're a leader in the church. Let's Drop it in this context. When we operate in inconsistency, we send mixed messages. As a husband, domestic head of the home, we're sending mixed messages. As a parent, as a Christian, as a leader, when we operate in inconsistency, we send mixed messages. Secondly, when we send mixed messages, husband, when we send mixed messages, parents, when we send mixed messages, uh, uh, a deacon or Pastor Mike or a leader, when we send mixed messages, we confuse people, we demotivate them, and we kill our credibility. And once we kill our credibility, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, once we kill our credibility, husband, head of household, once we kill our credibility, Christian, people will not listen to us, even will not listen to us. And even if they do listen to us, they will not believe that we're, what we're saying is real. Listen. Our public reputation, our public life has to match our private life, our integrity.
And when there's a match between what people see publicly and how we are in reality, privately, that's consistency. And God will honor that. Man, I tell you, that is a powerful lesson. I got I got some questions. I got some comments here, and I want to look at them. I know I went over a little bit, but this, this here, consistency, this is, if you don't get nothing else out of the whole series, if you get this one, you're going to be way down the road to fulfilling your kingdom assignments. So let me look at this comment. I truly believe the reason why there are some people that don't want to fellowship with the body of Christ is because believers' private and public life doesn't match, doesn't equal as one. And I agree with you 100%. I truly agree with you that there are some people who don't want to get involved with church. They don't want, they said we just hypocrites. They said they talk one thing in church. Cause think about it. When we in church, that's our public world, but there's a private world, our physical environment, private world, but also our social media. That's a community. That's our private world. And people see what we say and how we function and the roles we are. And then they look at our social media posts and that's our private world. It does not match. And there's so many Christians that don't understand that they're turning people off because they're looking at us publicly and then they're seeing some private things and it does not match and it turns people off. I agree with you 100%. If Ananias had come clean and confessed, would he still have died? I don't believe they would have died. That's a great question. I believe if they had confessed, they would not have died. Now, I believe that. Now, there's so many discussions about how they died and, you know, did God kill them or did their sin kill them or whatever. There's so many questions. But the Bible says if we cover our sin, we will not prosper, but if we confess it and forsake it, we'll have mercy. So yes, I'm convinced they would, st- they would have not died. Comment, yet again, God gives us a choice, and when we repent, God will keep it hidden, mercy, mercy. Yes, I'm convinced. A lot of people don't realize this, that God is not in the business of exposing people. It is Satan that wants to expose people. God will work with us. In fact, God sent this message with some people listening to me today. Why? He wants them to get out of it. He don't want their marriage to break up or their, their life, their reputation. He doesn't want it. That's why he has us teaching it. My son taught it Sunday in Birmingham. I taught it Sunday in Columbus. I'm teaching it again on my podcast. Why? Because God won't people to get out of stuff. He doesn't want to expose them. He will hide it and deal with us. But sooner or later, our sin runs its course. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin will kill you. Comment. You have to have fear and respect to God because it can be hard if you don't keep your mind renewed. You're absolutely right. You have to have a reverence for God. That's what fear of God means. And you have to have your mind renewed to the word. 
because the, the world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. Another last comment. Um, Michael K.'s son of teaching, he mentioned a book you read by Michael Connick on consistency, which I began listening to on YouTube, and it's extremely hard, but amazing at the same time. You and Pastor Michael together, I believe, will help me reach another level. Yeah, uh, I, I want I, that book. I think it's Michael Connick. I think it's C A N I C. It's ruthless consistency. And those three statements uh, are what I was reading the book, and those three statements jumped out. When we operate in inconsistency, we send mixed messages. When we send mixed messages, we confuse people, we demotivate them, and we kill our credibility. And once we kill our credibility, people will not listen to us. And even if they do listen, they won't believe that what we're saying is real. So it, I, I'm glad that that helped you. I think this teaching will help you. Believe it or not, some people think that when I'm teaching some, I got it all together. No, listen, I'm learning just like everybody else. And, and I taught this Sunday, I'm teaching it today. When I leave, this is what I say. Holy Spirit, give me more grace. I want my public life and my private life to match. You said that I will both do great things and prevail, and I agree with you in Jesus' name. So I'm standing on the word. I'm not standing on Mike Moore. I'm standing on the word, and I believe that the Spirit of God, none of this stuff, you can't do none of this stuff, the willpower. He's on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you to help you do the word of God. You can't do it in your own strength. Now, uh, here's a question. Is the, is the same Ananias that Paul met on the road to Damascus? No, uh, this ain't the same Ananias. Ananias on the road to Damascus was a disciple of uh, the Ananias in Acts chapter 5. See, Acts 9 is this disciple who ministered to Paul, prayed for him, he was healed. And that's not the same Ananias as Acts 5, who was married to Sapphire. That's a good question, but it's not the same question. So since they won't believe when we fail with inconsistencies, even though we may have confessed and got right with God, where do we go from there? You, you know... I, I, I'm trying to get a handle on the question. You said, so since they won't believe when we fail with inconsistencies. Okay, here's the thing. When, we, when we're inconsistent, some people won't believe because of our inconsistency. That doesn't mean we can't change. And, and technically, all you can do about the past is confess it, Receive forgiveness and forsake it. That's all you can do about the past. It's beautiful that we can begin to live a life of integrity even if we didn't in the past. So if you did some stuff that was inconsistent in the past and you've repented of it and you're committed to change, then just walk on. Don't You can't change it. You can't change it. You can confess it and you can't go back and make everybody believe you right now. 
I mean, you, if there's somebody you need to talk to or confess to and say I'm sorry to, you do it. But you can't wipe everything out of people's minds. Some people will always bring up your path. That's not your business. Your business is to walk in the light of what you know right now. And you can do that. Question, so uh, Pastor Mike, is it safe to say that the reason why so much jealousy is in the church because people can't understand why some people are receiving blessings and they're not receiving blessings? Could it be about our private and public life? Well, uh, you, there, you, there are several issues that you have. You're mixing some things, but I'm going to try to pull it apart. Mike, is it safe to say that the reason why so much jealousy in the church because people can't understand why some people are receiving blessings and they're not receiving blessings. Well, let's stop there. Well, you know, I, I know it's a temptation when you feel like you're living right and you see other folk walking in blessings and maybe you are not. And I don't know what that means because blessings are holistic. It can be spiritual, mental, emotional, physical. Some people, they relegate blessings to just the financial, but spiritual blessings, mental, emotional blessings, physical blessings, financial blessings, and social blessings. So sometimes I, I can't say why people are not walking in their inheritance. I can't say because I don't have any information. But jealousy is once you start looking sideways, looking at what somebody has. We're not supposed to do that anyway. We're not even supposed to do that because you don't know what other people are doing. You don't know their call. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know anything. All you know is about you. And I, what I wanted to challenge is this last part. Could it be about our private and public life? Sometimes there are things in our personal life, and those are only the things we should be concerned about, our personal life. Is there a match between our public and private life? That's what I want you to be evaluating, is what people see publicly who you really are privately. Are you the same person? Or you got this show going on in public and you something else in private, you know, and that covers a lot of territory. That's why this so important message because we all have to evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves, is my private life matching my public life? All of us got to ask that question and all of us got to work toward making sure there's consistency, there's a match. Thank you. Great questions. Uh, great comments. Uh, we're 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 gonna hit the fourth. Uh, we'll we'll look at the third pillar next time. We're gonna talk about purity, honesty, consistency, purity, authenticity. So we'll look at that. I trust you've been blessed. I love you so very much. Thank you for your uh, questions. You did a great job, and I believe you're gonna walk in the fullness of God's plan for your life. 